Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is George. This is the Present Fathers Podcast, and it's uh, one day after Valentine's Day, so I hope everyone had a great Valentine's Day. Uh, we have a very special guest tonight, Chris Singleton. Chris uh, travels the country speaking. Uh, he has a very, very powerful message, uh, and we're, we're going to let him tell a story, but we are very excited, Chris, for you to join us tonight. Um, just real quick, for those who are only listening, we're joined by the entire crew. Brandon, Dustin, and Justin are here with me. And uh, yeah, without further ado, Chris, um, let's just dive right in. Can you give us a little bit, uh, first, tell us about your family today and uh, what you do just a little bit, and then um, if you would be willing to share with us uh, kind of your story and, and what really um, catapulted you into what you do today. Absolutely. So uh, I'm Chris. I'm 26 years young, a pretty young guy, and I've been married uh, for four years to my high school sweetheart, been together for 10 years. We've got two beautiful sons, CJ, who's five, Caden, who's one and a half, and then we've got a little baby girl on the way um, who will be here in the summer of 2023. So uh, that's my family. What I, what I do as my profession is I'm a professional speaker, travel around the country 150 days out of the year. Um, I'm really set on that number, 150 days. I'll share more about that in, in a second, but um, speaking about love, about unity, and it all stemmed from a tragedy. I lost my mom in a racially motivated uh, mass shooting in my church in Charleston, South Carolina. And you know, following this loss, I played professional baseball for a couple of years, but after I lost my mom, my, my focus shifted from my career as, a, as an athlete to what could I do to spread this message of love, of unity, and keep my mother's legacy alive. So uh, that's what I've been doing. I've been extremely blessed that I get to speak to uh, companies like Boeing, Microsoft, Facebook, uh, NFL teams, NBA teams, and different conferences, as well as tons and tons of students every single year, over 30,000 students actually every year. And so I'm blessed. I love that I get to, I, I love that I love what I do. I call it my job slash ministry slash calling. And uh, because it's all three, I think it's a great gig for me. George, you're muted, brother. The mute goblin got me today. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to just plug for you. I've been watching you know, some of your speeches and your clips on Instagram and things like that. And I, I would say that God definitely has given you a gift uh, for you know, capturing an audience and, and really telling your message. So um, we're very grateful for your time tonight joining our podcast. Um, and I guess if, if we could, if you'd be willing to share just a little bit, um, you know, about, you know, when you, when you lost your mom initially and, and kind of where you were at with that, um, were you a father at that point yet or, or not? Yeah, man, great question. So I, I was on 18 years old. I lost my okay. mom when I was a freshman in college. Um, nope, didn't have a kid yet. Um, and you know, when I lost my mom, it was, my focus really shifted towards my little brother and sister. I, my father personally was a great dad, but he, he struggled with the disease of alcoholism. 
And mm-hmm. so he was drinking really heavy um, the time my mom was killed. And so he wasn't really able to step up too much because of his disease. And, you know, when my mom was killed, that really set him over the edge. Uh, and all his trauma came pouring back on top of him. And he really struggled. And so after I got drafted by the Cubs, I actually started to take care of my little brother and my little sister. Um, they moved in with me and my uh, fiance at the time, my wife now. And, uh, you know, they're a little older now, but yeah, I've been kind of father figure to them for the last uh, seven, eight years or so. Um, but yeah, didn't have a, my own at the time I lost my mom. Gotcha. Well, thank you for uh, sharing that. Can you walk through just, okay, so, you know, this horrible event, right? This this murder, right, uh, of many people. And, and how did you, you know, how important was your faith in the aftermath? And then, you know, how long was it between then and you deciding that, you know, you wanted to take this and, you know, maybe God was calling you in a different direction to, to start speaking and, and treating it like a ministry? Absolutely. Well, well, first I will say, man, when you lose your mom while she's praying in church, I think there's only two ways you can go with your faith. You can say, there's no way God is real if my mom is shot six times while she's praying. Or you can say, God, I don't know how in the world or why this happened, but I need you to get me through this thing. And I went with right. the latter. And um, I'm so grateful that I went with the latter because now I have hope. And I don't, if I always say, man, if I wasn't a believer, I would want to be because it gives me hope, right? And yeah. so uh, I actually started this journey of um, having faith for myself because I grew up in the church. You know, my mom right. was a was an ordained minister. But, you know, for me, it wasn't real until I encountered something where I needed my own faith, not just my mom's. And I started reading the Bible for myself for the first time. And uh, the, the first time I started sharing about this message was after I lost my mom the day after we had like this prayer vigil at my at my college baseball field and a bunch of reporters out there. And they basically said, hey, Chris, can you share a few words? And I was like, I don't have anything to say. And they just started asking me random questions. Yeah. And I finally said, you know what, man, I forgive my mother's killer. And I said, and I believe that love is stronger than hate. So if we just love the way my mom would, the hate won't be anywhere close to where love is. And I shared those words, not thinking anything of it. And I know now that God put those words on my heart. At the time though I'm 18, just lost my mom, my world's in shambles. And I didn't even know the power that our words possess. And the next day I woke up, um, there was no, you know, burning down of any buildings in my city. People locked arms and it went viral. And the, the Today Show called me. They said, Chris, we want you on our show. All these different news outlets said, Chris, you're just so, so inspiring. Thousands of people locked, locked arms, and we marched across our bridge together. And um, other family members forgave as well. And so it was really just something supernatural out of this world um, yeah. that happened. But, you know, it wasn't everybody that forgave in that moment because that's unrealistic, and we are yeah. in a practical world. But there were like four or five family members that were touched by the presence of God. And like the Holy Spirit just said, hey, forgiveness is something I want you guys to share right now. And um, that happened. And, you know, my life changed right after that. That's awesome. And uh, I, I mean, I think it's pretty evident that, you know, God is is using the, the loss of, of not just your mother, but all those people and, you know, you know, moving um, for his will after that. And, you know, I, you wouldn't really have the. I hate to say success because it sounds um, it, it almost degrades what it is, but 
being having the opportunity to like you just said i think what i really honed in on there too is not just these companies but being able to speak to all these students right when they're young and and uh impressionable and you're you're able to speak um your message and share your story to impact them early in their life um you know it's just it's a very powerful opportunity um you know if, if can you walk us through kind of like you know what is the core message you share with students how does that change um you know depending on your audience or do you kind of typically tell um the story the same way and you know just kind of walk us through some of that yeah so uh, great question by the way and i always share like i didn't have a dream of being a speaker or nothing like that before i lost my mom i just want to get to the big leagues i want to play right. baseball want to rob home runs in yankee stadium and you know all <laughs> these different things that's all i want to do and you know sometimes when life hits us you know we got a couple options we can we can soak and stay there or we can say i want to be a part of the solution and uh, i said i want to be part of the solution and that's what led me to do the work that i do today yeah and uh what i'm sharing at schools man i speak literally to every different audience it's crazy because not a lot of speakers are like that it's like mm -hmm. um some people are i would say corporate speakers or some people are like a school speaker and then there's a person like me that says hey i have this message of unity I share it with second graders. I share it with uh, 20 year olds. I share it with fortune 25 companies. It doesn't matter who I'm sharing it with. I share this message that love wins. And if I had to give a core takeaway in a, in a one minute segment, uh, my main thing that I share is that everybody's got a story behind their stance, right? We take tons of different stances, whether it be on politics or our favorite music or our favorite teams. Uh, but there's a story behind that. Everybody's got a story behind theirs. And so, I don't judge people based on where they stand without knowing their story. And I think when we do that, empathy happens in our world and um, we don't hate each other as much. We're, we're, we say, hey, even though Chris loves the you know, Falcons or the Yankees or the Braves, right? There's a reason why he loves that team. Maybe his parents taught him to love it. Maybe he went to a game and he saw his hero and he got something to sign and so he's followed them ever since. Or, or maybe, you know, he just doesn't know the sport, so he follows a terrible team, right? Whatever it may be, there's a story behind it. And I don't like to judge people until I know their story. Right. Yeah. I, Brandon was pointing that out uh, ahead, ahead of time uh, about that, you know, that, that you emphasize that at his work event, um, you know, making sure you, you really understand someone's story before uh, judging them. Um, that, that's awesome. So for real quick here, I want to just share your website. Uh, for those who are watching, this is Chris's website. It's chrissingleton.com. Uh, and within that, you can kind of see his story. Um, really, everything that you do is, is here on your website, Chris. But can you talk to us about your, your book? Um, you know, how, how did you get going on that? And, um, you know, how long did it take you to work through that? But I, I think that the message of that book is awesome. And, you know, unfortunately today... I, that it's a struggle, right, for people to understand that we may look different, but there's so much more that unites us and that we have value in beyond, you know, what we look like. Um, and I love the quote on your website, nobody chooses their skin color, so why would I ever hate you for yours? And Why would you ever hate me for mine? Yeah, and that's, that's the mission, right? My mom, unfortunately, was taken away because of a chemical in her skin. There was a guy, real human being by the name of Dylan Roof, who said, I want people to hate each other so much that hopefully, this was his thoughts. He said, hopefully I can go into this historically black church, take these black lives, and hopefully 
white and black people will hate each other so much after that we can start a race war in this country. That was his goal. And so I'm trying to do the exact opposite of that. Um, and the quote that you read out, it makes, it's so simple, right? We don't choose our skin color. So why do we hate people who judge people right. based on those things? You know, we don't choose our parents. We don't choose our first language. We don't choose a country that we're born in. My wife is from Brazil. She's actually in Brazil with my two kids this month uh, for the whole month. And, you know, my son, he's learning Portuguese. It's pretty good, but he's still learning it. And so right. I don't want him to judge those kids because they don't know English or, you know, they don't, they don't, yeah. they don't choose it. So that's the, the general message. And for my book, man, I, I've written children's books thus far. And my first adult book comes out this summer, which I'm excited about. Um, but I, I wanted to write children's books because I got a sad story. Man, I lost both my parents really young, been taking care of my brother and sister. Uh, and so I didn't want to take away their innocence with this sad story. But I said, how can I share this message with young people without telling them about the gory details? Right. And that's how I wrote the children's books. And um, different celebrities like Viola Davis and Steph Curry and um, people like Cam Newton, they've definitely supported me and helped me get these these books out there. Um, but just me being on the road more than anything allows me to uh, to do well with those books. That's awesome. Uh, I've, I've asked a lot of questions. Uh, if it's okay with you, kind of just open it up to the group now and if we can just kind of have some conversation. But uh, Chris, I just really love what you're doing. Uh, and even as a you know, young father, I think uh, we're a little bit older than you here. But, you know, balancing the road life with, with the home life uh, can be a struggle. Um, I'm, I'm well aware of that. And uh, just really appreciate what you're doing. And I think it's people like you stepping up and, um, you know, answering the call when, when God called you to do this um, because I think the impact you're making today will, will be seen, you know, years down the road. So just absolutely man to man, lots of respect for it. uh, You know, we're really thankful for you being here tonight. Yeah, man, I saw this uh, and I know you guys travel a decent bit too. So this is why I'm so grateful to be on, to have this dialogue with you guys. Um, But for me, I used to, (laughs) when I first started traveling a good bit, I didn't have like a cap number of days that I'd be like, hey, I'm going to be gone this many days and that's it. Um, and I remember at five years old for my son, this is when I realized certain days really, really matter. OK, so when he turned five, um, we had a birth- we have a birthday party for him and the birthday party is on Saturday. His birthday uh, is like a Wednesday or something. Right. And up until this point, he's like he don't care about the birthday. It's all about the party, the party, the party. And then he turns five on his birthday, his fifth birthday. And mommy's, my, my wife's like, you know, CJ was a little sad today. And I was like, why is he sad? He said, because daddy's not there on his birthday. And I'm like, whoa. Up until this point, he didn't care at all. He even said he didn't care when I left. But then he started to realize, oh, daddy's got on my birthday. So I learned a big lesson of like, hey, five years old is that age for me where it's like certain days really matter for, for him. Um, and then, I know this is the father's podcast, but I have to tell the story about my wife that I learned a big lesson on. And, uh, you know, my wife is superwoman. She takes care of our two little guys, and I'm gone a decent bit. But she knows that I'm not full of baloney, right? She sees the work that I'm doing, and she knows that my heart is really in it for these kids and these people around the country. And uh, one time, my wife said, hey, Chris, let's go on a Disney cruise this summer or, like, during the year. And I immediately texted my assistant. I'm like, hey let's book out a week long so I can go on this Disney cruise with my family. Right. And my assistant texts me back. She said, Chris, you don't have a week free for the rest of the year. 
She said, you don't have a week free where you can just go for a week. I said, there's no way. I think it was like April at the time. I said, are you telling me for the rest of the year I don't have a week? She said, Chris, you don't have a week for the rest of the year. And I said, that's a huge problem. I told my wife, we ended up going on like a three-day Disney cruise instead of like the five-day or whatever. And she was happy with that. But I could tell, like, Chris, yeah. you're working your behind off. You got to start booking your vacations beforehand. So now I book right. them about a year out to make sure they're on the calendar. Our red dates are there. Obviously, the month and a half from my, my baby girl gets here, it's already blocked off. But I'm learning. I'm learning about these things as I go. And I think yeah. it's a great podcast that you guys have. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. it's funny that you say that because in fatherhood specifically, this was your struggle moment, I think that kind of helped you to reprioritize um, what you were, you were doing with your children and the, the, the time that you were doing. Um, I want to go back to something because you had mentioned differences. And to me, um, our differences of color and culture is holy and it's intentional by God. And he expects us to love those differences. And I feel like I love that your message teaches that at the heart. And I know that we can teach each other from our differences and our differences are what empower and strengthen us when we're together. And I just can't imagine all of us being the same. So that's why I love that we're all different. Like I love people being different or unique. It's such a special blessing. So yeah, I, I just have to say thank you so much for the message. Like I, I took so many notes when you spoke and I enjoyed the speech at the Ignite conference thoroughly. Um, I, I just want to that. jump in on that real quick, Chris, because yeah. I was, I literally watched it this morning. Uh, it's a, it was a clip from one of your recent speeches, I think on your Instagram. And you were talking about, you know, how you think, um, you know, diversity or, or inclusion and treating people fairly doesn't mean we all think the same. Can you, can you like expand on that a little bit? Cause it was, it was such a great little clip on Instagram. I think it'd be, it'd be good to repeat it here. Yeah, man. I, and I think one of the clips you're talking about is how when we think about being united, we all we all think that that means Unity, we have to is, vote the same and, you know, believe the same and dress the same and listen to the same music. And basically, that's not what unity is for me. Um, it's it's about celebrating our differences. It's about knowing that we are different. My wife's from Brazil. They learn. I had to learn Portuguese. I'm still learning that thing. It's tough. Right. So we're not the same by any means, but I can still celebrate her culture and she can celebrate mine. Um, now the good book tells us that we should love our neighbors. And so for me, I'm thinking, okay, that means everybody's my neighbor here on this earth, right? I want to spread the, the love that I've been given. And so that, that's where it comes from. Um, even though we look a little different, you may, you may like the cowboys and I call them the cowgirls, right? At the end of the day, <laughs> hey, Chris, we're we, going to be friends. I can, I can tell they're, they're all cowboys still, fans, so not this guy. <laughs> Get him off. We can still Get him love off. one another. <laughs> I always say I'm a bandwagon fan. Any team that brings me in to speak, I'm I'm with that team for the year. So <laughs> maybe once the Cowboys bring me in, I'll change my mind about them. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I just I, it was so good. It that is such a good point too. And you know, I think unfortunately today a lot of people don't get that that um, you don't have to all think the same way or act the same way. You can go in very different ways and even believe a lot of different things and still respect each other on a human level. Um, beyond any political creed, religious creed, any of that kind of stuff, you know? So, so I just no, yeah, absolutely. no, absolutely. And, and, you know, just like you were saying, uh, even if someone like my wife's a Cubs fan and I'm a Braves fan, at least once a year, I get to rub it in. So it's, it's nice when you have differences. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. And I, 
I love the fact that, you know, just learning about this podcast and seeing that all of you are fathers. One of the things that I pride myself on is um, I have this, I read this book years ago called Wealth Can't Wait, phenomenal book. And it talked about like, what does the perfect life look like for you? Like the perfect year. And so I started to break down my years, like, you know, how much money I'd make, how much money I'd give, how many dates I go on with my wife, uh, how many of my son's games that I go to, how many things do I teach my son? Because at the time I only had one little guy. Now I got two. And so like I, I started making intentional goals in every aspect of my life. And uh, I've seen just huge dividends from from doing that and being intentional about it. Uh, to date, I have like five F's. I have this this little, it's not, it's like a accountability group. And I think there's like 33 of us in there. Me and my buddy Ryan Cass started it, who's a an executive for Boeing. And so for me, uh, I want to win these five. It's faith, family, fitness, finances, and foundation. And foundation is like giving. And so I met way too many people who make $3 million a year or $5 million a year, but they're on their fifth marriage or their you know, fourth wife. And for me, that's not success to me personally. Yeah. To some people, that is success, but to me, it's not, right? Or it's like, hey, uh, they're no longer people of faith. Like, I feel like for me, being a successful person is still is not believing because you make money and you become God. Like, that's not the case. And that happens sometimes. And I've seen it. Mm -hmm. And so faith is super important. I want my wife and my kids to love me. Um, I want to be physically fit. And then I want to be a giver. Right. I, I, heard, I heard a guy recently who's a big supporter of me and my family and the stuff that I'm doing. And he said, Chris, the only better feeling than making a million dollars is like giving a million dollars or making $10 million is giving $10 million. And me and my wife, we were so blessed that we got to give away $50,000 last year. And that was my goal to give away 50000 $50, for the year. And it felt so good. And my, my mentor, a friend of mine, is like, Chris, if you think that feels good, wait till you're able to give a million dollars to an organization that you know you will change lives by doing so. And when he said that to me, it just opened things up. And so I have these pillars that I have in my life. And if I'm not winning as a father, if not winning as a husband, financially, fitness-wise, faith-wise, giving wise like i don't i don't feel like i'm winning at all that's good and that's and good. you know something pillars. something you had spoke on um again at the conference was you don't want to be a public success but a private failure uh can you elaborate into that a little bit uh based on what you had just talked about yeah man and uh i have a friend his name is inky johnson who kind of shared that he, he basically shared like you know be careful shooting for the stars because you might burn everybody that you love in, in doing so. That's what he basically said. And I never heard that before. And I was like, man, that's pretty deep. And um, for me, public success, private failure means like, hey, everybody loves Chris. What a phenomenal speaker. Great guy. Wants to change the world. Like that's a public success. Private failure is like if my wife can't even look at me in the face or if she says, Chris, you never help with our boys. Right. Or she feels like, hey, I'm alone in this battle. Like that's being a private failure to me personally. Mm -hmm. That's leaving her out to dry. And so I'm always checking in like, hey, what what more can I be doing? How are you feeling? Where are we at? Give me, you know, one to 10. What, how are you feeling right now? Yeah. And um, like, that's why I think it's so important to make sure that we're winning on both sides of the ball. And um, I hate to use this person as an example, but I have to. I have to use this person as an example. But, um, you know, I remember I called it when, you know, Tom Brady and his wife, you know, they went through some stuff and 
I told my friends, I said, man, I don't know why he's coming back. He's won everything. He's got the rings. He's got the MVPs. He's got the money. I know he loves the sport of football. But I said, I bet you at a certain point, his wife's going to be like, dude, enough is enough. And sure enough, about a year and a half later, she was basically like, you're coming back again. Enough is enough. Lord willing, they can figure things out. and Hopefully he can win back the love of his life. But I just saw that how if we keep chasing sometimes, we can lose the things that really mean the most to us. Um, and so that's what I've seen the examples happen. I just want to make sure I'm on the right side of, of history and all those things. That's good. Yeah. So good. I, you know, I thought the same thing. And, and now we're seeing that that's essentially the case. And, you know, I, I hate that for them uh, and for his kids. Um, but, you know, there, there's, it's not just pro athletes who do that. It's in every profession. Right. And um, I think you sharing with your, you know, process, cause you have to travel a lot. What you do is it's a, it's a traveling gig, right? Um, the parameters you've put in, in place for yourself and for the health of your family. That's, that's so, prof- it's really wise. Uh, you said you were 26, I think, man, I wish I was thinking like you when I was your age. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> cause we're, we're at our thirties, almost 40 now. We're now we're thinking that way. Right. So that's, that's really good. Appreciate you putting those out there. Thank God, Dustin, you had something to jump in on, right? Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, you know, obsession is so interesting because it's what got Tom Brady to be the greatest football player, but it also looks like it what you know potentially lost him his family. So it's always that knife's edge of you want to achieve excellence, but at the same time, you don't want to lose what matters most. That's really tough. So my question for you, you're talking a lot about giving back. Um, let's say I had two hours a week free and that was it. What organization or how do you think I could best spend my time during those two hours to have the greatest impact as a dad? Yeah, as a dad, um, I definitely think it's training with your – well, I, I, I'm a sports guy, so I think, like, training with my my little man is super fun. He loves baseball, so anytime I can be in the backyard playing wiffle ball with him, like, that is my jam. He loves it. I love it. So, like, as far as, like, giving back to our little ones, I think doing something they love for two hours is great. On the, you know, foundation, philanthropic side of things, um, I've got my morals, so I, I, I basically – I'm on the board for nonprofits and that, that aligns with my morals. I'll give you a couple of them. One of them is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I'm on the board where I live. Um, another one is a nonprofit for reading called Reading Partners. I'm on the board there. Another one is a is a massive company on the nonprofit side of it called Give Evolve, which basically gives weapons detection systems for schools and churches. And so those things mean a lot to me. And so I basically align myself with different nonprofits that I think, man, I've been impacted by this stuff. And so I want to make sure I can, you know, pay it forward. Another one that I like is uh, First Tee. If you like to play golf one hour a week, you can definitely do that. Um, but again, Give Evolve. I've got Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Reading Partners. Those are my three that I'm aligned with personally. And uh, if you like one of those, definitely, you know, go full throttle with one of them, but also look at your values and your morals and say, Hey, what, what have I been affected by that? I can be the change with. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's beautiful. Cause it's, it's basically saying uh, whatever's poured into you and your life, you're pouring back out, you're paying it forward. You're, you're making sure, especially with your children that you're investing most importantly into them because they're clearly your priority and they clearly are leaving you're leaving a legacy a a love legacy a knowledge a a memoratic legacy to your children so yeah man that's that's amazing i love that so much 
Yeah, another thing I wanted to touch on for me, I've kind of set my, and I feel like I've I've got a profession where I can actually do this. Not everybody can 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 kind of do this, but I sit down, I talk with my wife, and I ask her. I say, well, every December we go on like a couples trip, or just something where we do together with other couples, or just us. And I'll say, well, how many days can I be gone this year? How do we feel about my time on the road this past year? And we'll have that conversation. Um, and so that that was pretty cool that we always do that. And then another thing that I'll do is right now, my son, his games are on Saturdays. It's pretty easy to make the Saturday games. But I know one day he's going to be in middle school. And the middle school games will happen on like Tuesday nights or Thursday nights. And I'm even thinking about this. My baby girl isn't even born yet, guys. But I'm thinking about the father-daughter dances. I'm like, I got to make sure I don't miss the father, father-daughter dances. Like, how do I know in yep. advance when they're coming? Yep. And I'm asking these questions. And other dads are like, hey, Chris, since you're on the road a lot, you need to go ahead and talk to the principal, the headmaster at the school, and say, around what time do you usually – do you guys think you usually will plan something like this? And, you know, just build on that relationship with the people in leadership to, to say, hey, uh, we might text Chris, you know, because he know we know how important it is for this father daughter dance. We might text him and say, "Hey, Chris, if we did it on this day, would that work for you?" Just by being vocal and and, and sharing that stuff with the people that are uh, making these decisions, they see how intentional you are, and you don't want to miss that stuff. My dad unfortunately used to miss some of my games because of his disease and you know the things he was going through, and so I'm like, I don't want to miss my son's game. So I'm pretty much in the grind phase of my life right now. Uh, I say. In five years, and my son's in sixth grade, I pretty much cut my days in half. And 80 days on the road sounds like a lot to people, but that's not—that's nothing to me. Doing 150 every year—that's awesome. I actually just had my first uh, daddy-daughter uh, dance this past Saturday, and uh, I learned a lot. So I'll, I'll be glad to pass you some some tips and some pointers. But man, it's it's amazing. There's nothing like holding your baby girl. And she's looking at you and you know that you're modeling the future of what she expects from her future husband. So it, mm. it's it, it made it like sons make you step up as a man, but a daughter makes you step up in so many different ways uh, because you know that you're going to be the man that she looks to to model what she's going to be looking for. And so it's such a different aspect. And there's so many different joys that come with having a daughter over having a son. So Man, I'm excited for you for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I actually wanted to touch on a point that you said. You were talking about Tom Brady and his wife and how they, uh, well, Tom just kind of let the obsession go over the borderline. Um, and I think we're all guilty, especially as dads, as husbands. You know, we let our obsessions and, and things kind of distract us. But I know for some dads and some some men out there, it's, it's also about respect. Um, I heard something really wise this week and it was from, I've, I've quoted him before, but Tyson Fury, uh, the world heavyweight champion. Uh, he was talking about men specifically. We bury things a lot and, you know, we go to the places where we get the most respect. Um, and that's a big thing. Respect is so huge to men these days uh, because there's so little of it in today's society, unfortunately, especially for fathers and, you know, we all go through a lot, but I have to give it to my wife, man. My wife, uh, she is, she's a one man. She, uh, she's on top of it. We have our sons. You're actually going to appreciate this. We have our son's first birthday coming up next month and she has this extravagant party and it's baseball themed. And she had this banner and it's like Blinson stadium and she's got our son and you probably can't see this, but, uh, 
she's got him like a full-on uniform we've got everything man so um yeah we're really excited i'm a baseball player always have been i'm a baseball nut so i'm i'm hearing you talk about you practicing with your son oh man it kind of made me twinge jealousy a little bit uh i'm i'm very excited to to do some hitting and you know some some throwing with them and uh, i'm excited for you man because uh i see how my brother is with his daughter and how george is with his and uh i have two other brothers besides brandon and you know um one of them just had a baby girl and the other has a, a girl and went to that dance with them and man the, the picture is just I've always been like, I want to be a boy dad, but they're kind of, they're kind of pulling me to team girl. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you, man. Well, thank you. And we have, so we've got two boys and then we finally got our girl in the way and we were praying for a girl. Obviously we're praying for a healthy baby. My wife really wanted um, a girl. And for me, I was always nervous. Like, well, my son likes sports. Will he like, will he like baseball? Will he like basketball? Will he like then I realized, you know, your kids pretty much are going to love what you love, right? You're, you're, you're around watching basketball. Then all of a sudden, like, I start hearing him talk about LeBron and taking <laughs> him to go see a, a LeBron play and, you know, taking him to NBA games and all this stuff. Like, I remember those memories when I was like seven and eight, and I, I remember them vividly. And so now that he's five and about to turn six, like those things mean a lot to me. Um, another thing that I do that it's intentional is – I think at, at a certain point, every person, your character is going to be like, I should say every man, you know, our character is going to be questioning the fact that do we really mean what we say, right? Because let's say you, you have a goal of an income of, you know, I'm, I'm super open about money. So, you know, for me, my, my goal is that I want to make a million dollars this year and in gross revenue, right? And so I'm saying, okay, I want to make a million dollars. Now, if I'm on track big time, and, you know, November comes and I've already made my million dollars. Am I going to still go full throttle or am I going to sit down with my wife and say, hey, we've already made our goal. You know, I don't have to be gone anymore for two more months. Right. That's and true. I think at a certain point you're going to be tested like, hey, do you really, you know, are you shooting for this goal or are you just shooting for more and more and more? And um, for me, I've learned that once we're about to hit our goal, I sit down with my wife. I say, hey. This is where we're at. What do you want to do? And then everything goes through her for the rest of the year. Um, it's kind of what 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 we do for our household. So um, I think we'll be tested by it. But I, I love having those conversations because I'm always learning and uh, always evolving as well. I like that. Yeah, no, actually. Uh, so it kind of thought made me think when you said something about, you know, the different athletes and, and their kids. So um, when I was a a little boy myself. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta and my dad used to take us to this horse pasture uh, and we'd, we'd feed these horses. And then one year it got mowed down and sold. And I was so depressed and upset, man. And I, I remember vividly, we got on this bus to go to this field to park um, and, and go into um, Sugarloaf Country Club, which is where uh, I think it was the Bell South Classic was going on at the time. And my dad kept saying, look, this is going to make it all worth it. And I was like, what? And he said, there's a very unique individual who's playing today. He's a, he's a, I guess, a rookie, whatever you want to call it. He's new to the, uh, the PGA. His name's Tiger. And I think you're really going to enjoy him. And I'm telling you what, we had the best time watching Tiger Woods. And it's so cool because 
Um, yeah, I'm 38. That's a little given there. If I'm a kid and Tiger's a rookie, yeah, that kind of lets you know how old I am. But yeah, it was just feeling it now. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. But it was it was cool because you know I, I don't know if you've seen Tiger's story. Um, there's an HBO special on it. It's a three part series. It's phenomenal. Um, he talks about his relationship with his father and, and some of the broken things in, in that home um, and, and how, you know, his, his dad kind of pushed him instead of letting him make the decision. And one of the things he he kind of really touched on that I, I respect so much is um, he let his son, Charlie, decide if he wants to be a golfer, or if he even wanted to play sports. And you, I think you hit the nail on the head. If If you're a good father and you show up for your kids and you you give them the support that they want, but don't push them to, you know, do one specific thing, let them make the choice. They're always going to follow what you like and do. And, and I think Charlie's a great example of that because if you haven't seen recently, he's out driving his dad and he's, he hasn't beaten his dad yet, but he's coming close. And I'm going to tell you what, he's got a mix of Rory and Tiger swing. So I think he's going to be better than his dad. I'm going to mark that right now on camera and say that. So I'm, I'm very, very, Hold on, I'm gonna do my my excitement. I'm i I'm gonna say right now, Charlie's gonna be better than Tiger, and and I cannot wait to see that unfold and share that with my son, so that I can share that moment my dad shared with me. So, I think that That's was a sweet. cool thing you said. That's awesome, man, for sure. I'm a big. I just started playing golf about a year and a half ago when we moved to a golf course. So I'm terrible at golf, but I did shoot under 100 for the first time, and so now I got my goal to That's try awesome. to stay. Stay under 100 every time I play, but that, don't always reach that goal. But gotta get that baseball swing out of it. Uh, it's the worst when you're a baseball player, man. It is the hardest sport, anyways. It is so frustrating. But if you have patience and you take lessons, that's a that's where you make the biggest differences. The short game is where you where you win for sure. Not as bad as hockey. Then you get the Happy Gilmore situation, so it's <laughs> even tougher. No doubt, no doubt, man. That's beautiful. I, I actually, um, you know, I was listening to um, King Griffey Jr. talk about him and his father, their relationship, and just seeing like how big time athletes have had kids and their kids have maybe played or not played. You look at like LeBron or Michael Jordan, and it's really hard to be like their kids, I'm sure. Um, but I had a question for you guys. I want to hear you guys' perspective on this because as a former athlete, this is like a, a double standard nobody talks about, okay? I want you guys to, to, to hear me out on this. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you haven't. Okay, so if you are an athlete, let's say you play in the MLB or the NFL or NBA, right? MLB has a very long season, okay? And let's say you make a million dollars a year playing in the MLB, right? I think league minimum is 700 but let's say you sign a small deal, you make a million. You make a million dollars a year and you're gone nine months out of the year. Nobody ever says anything about this guy as a father or a dad because you're in the MLB, right? But let's say you're a lawyer and you're gone for nine months out of the year and you make a million dollars. Everybody says it's got to be so hard for this guy's wife and this guy's kids when he's gone. I've realized this being in athletics that we never hold athletes to be that type of or to the certain standard that we have with just people that have, I guess, jobs that we think we could have as well. We always say, oh, well, the wife needs to understand because he's in the MLB or he's in the NFL making five million a year. Uh, but the wife to the lawyer doesn't have to understand because he works so much. Have you guys ever thought about something like that? Actually, an interesting thought. Um, 
and I think I want to say it's it may be due to the fact that that the amount of athletes that actually go professional is slim to none. I mean, the chances of you going pro is pretty much winning the lottery. So whereas anybody can go to law school, anybody can become, you know, proficient at something if they give it their all regardless. But yeah, I think and I think that is a problem with with America, too, specifically, is we we do kind of idolize um you know, professional sports players a little, little much, but I don't know, man, that's, that's a, that's a tough one to, to kind of crack open. Cause yes, the rarity of those people or individual skill levels is, is pretty incredible. But at the same time, like people need to keep it simple and, and honest and just say, Hey, look, they're a human, just like we are like, no matter how good you are at something, you still need to have moral character. You still need to be a good human being and treat others with respect and love and kindness. And so, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm going to think on that one a little more. <laughs> so it's definitely an interesting point. Yeah. Go ahead, Dustin. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so growing up, I had a single mom and, uh, when I met my wife, I told her all the men in my family, you know, I didn't have a great role model in my family where they had a great marriage that lasted for 50 years, you know, so I just hadn't seen a successful version of that. So I said, look, let's really dig into this and make sure that we're the exception and we find a way to make this work. Um, and I think being away from your family nine months out of the year, whether you're an athlete or a lawyer, is very, very tough. And it puts you in a situation where you're less likely to have a successful marriage and be a successful father. Um, so I think, you know, we need to look at athletes and say, OK, you've definitely put yourself in a more difficult situation. And maybe the league can say, all right, we want to make sure these guys have marriages that work. Let's give them a little more time you know, to go home and see their families. Um, and we don't think about that. We just say, well they're in season. We have to do everything we can to make them the best possible baseball player. But, you know, what about their families and their lives? So I'd love to see a couple days, you know, where the league says, look, these guys deserve this. They've got a family. Let's send them home. Let them go see their kids. Let them go see their wives. Can I just peel back the onion a little bit more? So, you, or clarification maybe. So you were, you were saying that you think athletes get more of a free pass when it comes to being gone that much? Just to make sure I'm understanding. Yeah, I think, th I think that average person or fan always looks at athletes and says, oh yeah, let's give him a free pass. But to the okay. judge, let's not give him a free pass. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm the greatest person to ask because so I was prior active duty. Uh, you know, I went for nine months and then when you're, even when you're home, you're training all the time. Uh, first, first year of our marriage. I, I mean, I was gone at least half the time, just, you know, weeks on end randomly. Uh, so my whole like work-life balance perspective is pretty different than I think most people's um, who kind of work a typical nine to five type of thing. I, I don't think I've ever put that much thought into like, oh, well, these athletes are away from the family. I, you know, when I think about it the most is on the holidays, because like when I was deployed, you know, it was whatever. But when you miss like the big events, like you were saying, right, your son's birthday, when you missed you know, your brother's birthday or it was Christmas or something like that. That's when you like really start to notice it. So like, I always think of like the, the Thanksgiving day football games and like, you know, they have like bowl games, like right after Christmas and new year's, like the Rose bowls on new year's day. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I guess if you're a college kid playing the Rose bowl, I'm like, you're also kind of missing like Christmas time with your family, you know, cause you've been training for like two weeks up to that game at least, right? Like very intense. Hey, we're about to play in the big one, you know? Um, and that's not even the pros. So <clears throat> that's when I've like thought about that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess you live that life. What, what is it really like? I mean, is there a chance to kind of come back and forth or is it like, it's just nine months solid. 
I guess I just don't really know because I've never lived that life. So, yeah, I'll, I'll let Brandon share and then I'll, I'll kind of tell you what most guys are doing or what it looks like. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. So I think it's a bias. Um, and it's because a lot of people in their lives, sadly, don't have things that they're hopeful for, um, things that bring them joy and hope. And so sports um, or things like sports, like uh, actors, actors are in the same boat. Um, they give people that hope, that that um, feeling of I can do this, too, because somebody else has achieved it. Like there's a lot of bias there. And so I think that they give those people that extra pass, that slide, because they they want to keep that feeling, that hopefulness. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people have like a worldview where, you know, sports and and movies and all these things are what give them hope and, and perseverance in their their tough lives. Um, but I mean, I think that to me personally is what separates a, a good person anchored in Christ and somebody anchored in the world. But I, I think it's bias, uh, just pure bias. And it's the same with pretty much any double standard. Yeah, I, I agree with that, man. It's definitely a double standard that, you know, most people aren't seeing unless you're unless you've been in both. Because, you know, I, I would always hear people say, well, man, Chris, it's got to be so hard for your wife for you to be gone 150 days a year. And nobody ever said that when I was playing baseball. And I realized that it was always like, oh, that's pretty cool, man. Did your wife ever come to any games? Those are the questions instead of being like, oh, it's got to be so tough for her. And so that's just something that I, I, I picked up along the way, transitioning from athlete to now business. Um, but also what I've noticed is you've got to have a conversation. You've got to have a conversation with your spouse beforehand. Dustin, you said, hey, I sat down with my wife and said, listen, this is what it's been like in my life. I don't want this cycle to keep going. I want to I want to make sure we're on the same page before we get this bad boy started. Same thing in sports. You got to you got to say, hey. I'm going to be gone a decent bit. I want to make sure we're on the same page with that before we go full throttle with this thing. And then um, if you're married, I know a lot of guys, if they're married, they have their spouse with a significant other that can travel from game to game sometimes. Uh, but if, you got, if, if, if you're married with no kids, that is, right? But if you got kids, man, it is tough for them to travel all the time and you're moving around left and right. So it's really a decent amount of time not seeing your family for sure. So, Chris, what made you hone in on 150 days? You mentioned earlier that was a really specific number for you. What What's the 150 about? Yeah, so 150 days is, is really the the amount that me and my wife said, okay, this is like our cutoff. And it was not, not really a science to it, but it was mainly like 12 to 15 days a month. And I usually don't travel in December, right? That's usually, you know, three days a week. And um, I even found myself, I remember I did this, you guys will laugh at this, but one time people were like, Chris, you're gone so much. And I started, I just started to look up all the jobs that travel a lot. I'm like, no, you see a pilot is gone this much. Uh, this is gone that much. You know, I just started, to, I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing better than what a pilot would do financially. So am I really gone that much? And I'm just looking up all these different things, comparing myself instead of being like talking to my wife, like, Hey, do you think I'm gone too much? <laughs> and right. And so I started to do that instead. And she, we basically came up with that 150 day number and gradually um, I love the work that I do, man. So it's hard for me to say no to stuff. I get probably 35 to 40 booking forms a month and, you know, 80% of them I can't do. They want me to go to the middle of nowhere, Montana for 200 bucks. And I just can't do that to leave my family for under a certain amount. 
And so I've had to really try to scale back, but also still make the impact that I want to make in the world. So yeah, that's kind of how we got with that 150 number. But it's it's evolving. You know, if my wife, you know, Lil' Willin, um, this doesn't happen. But if she says, Chris, I need you to be home. Like, I can't, you can't be gone. I have to readjust everything. But that's where we're yeah. at right now, the 150. That's good. Yeah, I mean, just on that point too, like, even when I was still active duty, there were several times I kind of sat my wife down, you know, hey, got an opportunity to maybe take my career a certain way, but it's going to come with these, you know, uh, commitments. And I want you to take a couple of weeks and think about it because I'm not going to go through all that work and, you know, the, all the testing and everything that goes into that. And then you'd be like, ah, oh, no, this ain't for me, you know? <laughs> um, and then that was why I left too, right? It's just so we could control our destiny a little bit more on being a family. Um and I'm, there's a lot of people out there like that. So I, I think you give a really different perspective too, because what you do is not what everyone else does, you know, coming from a professional athlete, uh, lifestyle to, uh, you know, professional speaker, basically, um, you know, that it, it's the same problem and you've approached it in a, in a great way that's working for you. And so that gives people ideas on how to kind of take that and adapt it to their own situation. Um, and I think that that's really the message is you, you have to make it work for your marriage, the, the specifics of your family, your kids, right? You may have some extenuating circumstances, so it's not like a one-size-fits-all type of solution. Um, but yeah, that <laughs> it is kind of funny that people are still hitting you like, oh man, it must be so hard for your wife because, you know, there's a lot of people who are gone a lot more from their families for a lot less, right? So <laughs> it's, that is interesting that uh, you're still getting that from the, from the crowd, so to speak. For sure. Um, I guess I wanted to take this back a little bit to the higher level of with with the messaging you put out. If, if there was one thing you wanted, you know, our viewers or listeners to to take uh, from from this episode, you know, what what is that top one, two, three things that that uh, you know if you only had thirty more seconds? Those are the ones you want to put out there. Yeah, I'd say as a dad, um, you know, just realizing that there's certain experiences and there's certain things that you want to do for your kids that they probably will never forget. And so if you got an opportunity to make those happen, definitely do it. I remember them from my dad and from my mom as a kid. And so I, I know for a fact that my son will remember them as well. And then my mission overall, man, it's about us being united, right? My skin color is a little bit more tan than everybody else on this call. But I can still love you guys and I don't judge you based on those things. And I hope the same vice versa. Right. And that's that's the mission that I'm on. My mom was taken away because of it. And I promised her, my church family, I would try to put an end to this thing called racism. So I'm trying and uh, I'm always trying to make her proud. And I think I've been doing that thus far. Yeah. And, you know, talking about that, racism isn't a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of bring up, if we could shift gears a little bit, is Grandma E. Can you tell us a little bit about Grandma E? Yeah, I can, man. This is a lady that I met when I was playing professional baseball and I was living in a retirement home. And so I played in the minor leagues, right? So we weren't making any money. But I lived at this place, met this lady named Esther who told me to call her Grandma E. And, you know, long story short, she had two great grandchildren and one was black, one was white. She said to me, they're twins, and I thought she was crazy because there ain't no way somebody's black and, and white been twins, right? Not li like biologically. 
And she's like, well, they are twins. And she told me how her grandson was supposed to have twins, but one little girl passed away and they adopted this black baby girl. And uh, they're eight years old now. And this is what they look like. They're twins. And uh, I thought it was, you know, thought it was a story that was made up, but it wasn't. It was her real life. And she showed me what she told me what they call themselves, which is chocolate and vanilla ice cream. And I basically asked her, like, why in the world are they calling themselves that? You know, I get it. One's black, one's white. But she said, Chris, I taught them that because I wanted them to know that even though they're different on the outside, from the inside where it counts, they're just as sweet. And she told me that. So now I try to teach that that thought process of, of, of teaching like Grandma E with our kids. Right. And, and, and making somebody realize, hey. I'm not going to make fun of Jose because Jose uh, is learning English as his second language, right? Let's not do that. Let's make sure our kids don't do that as well. Um, I'm not going to make fun of this kid because he has one pair of shoes instead of 10, like maybe your, you know, your kid does or five, like your kid does. Let's not make fun of him. He didn't choose his parents. He didn't choose the fact that they, they do or don't have money. And so I'm always trying to teach like Grandma E. And I ask parents to teach like Grandma E as well because I can't do it by myself. That's beautiful. I, I really like that uh, example. And you know, one thing I've I've noticed too, like with my daughter as, as she's growing up is, you know, kids never make that point, right? Just young children, their, their innocence, they don't, they don't ever, you know, like, so our next door neighbors are black. And when we, they play together, like from the first time they ever met, my daughter wasn't like, oh, they look different. You know, it was just kids playing outside, right? And, you know, in any time they're playing like that, yeah, I, I think I'm like, okay, if we could all just act, it's kind of the, where Christ, you know, said to um, have a childlike faith. If we all could be a little bit more childlike in the way that we approach other people, you know, how much different would the world be? Um, and and I, I just, I've yet to see any of the kids in the neighborhood who are young, you know, ever make any of their differences for whatever reason, an issue why no one wasn't playing, right? And it's just interesting that somehow, people grow up and, and then that changes for them. Um, interesting isn't the right word. It, it's terrible uh, that that happens. And, uh, you know, some people go to horrible extreme lengths, of course. But, um, yeah, that the message of your book, I think, is, is really good um, with that. But it, it's very evident, too, when you just look at kids. You know, you can just see. I agree, man. Like, that's uh, I'm a perfect example of that my oldest friend's uh, Harold, his family's from Liberia. Uh, and they came from a war-torn part of that country. And uh, his dad was a preacher, still is a preacher. He's actually back in Africa. And uh, man, he's he's literally been my longest friend. And I love him. He, we call him our brother because he really is. He is our brother. Um, and he's in. he's been in all of our weddings. And I can't wait for him to be a dad, man, because I'll be an uncle again. And, and that's He's he's going to be such a great father. But yeah, it's I grew up in Atlanta and it's it's definitely diverse in Atlanta. And I think that was one thing I appreciated about growing up in a bigger city, um, just because, you know, it was it was nice to to have friends of different cultures. Uh, we had another friend named David who's, who's Asian um, and or Korean and very, very, very cool cultures out there. And just getting to have a little bit of everybody's piece to that puzzle uh, and, and bringing something new to us was was always something I enjoyed. And and now when I travel, I kind of see that a little more. Like we just got back from Mexico and I got to see San Miguel and it was incredible to see how those people live. Um, they live in a very, very 
small town, but it's all cobblestones. And like they were out there taking care of the cobblestones with just, you know, soap and water and, and brooms. And man, it it was cool to see them take so much pride in what they call home. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of cool to, to know that there's there's different cultures out there and get to experience them. Yeah, absolutely. So Chris, question for you. Um, I know what society tells me I should do. Um, what do you think your message is that's different from say the mainstream, you know, about how we want to change the world and how we make it a better place? What's unique about what you're saying that we could really take away? Yeah, I think you don't have to change people. Um, you know, people are, are taught to uh, think this way for 40 years or whatever it may be. You don't have to change people's heart. What I try to do is I try to listen, understand them, number one. But also, even if I can't change like their thought process or with their belief, I try to let them know. I try to find out the story behind it. So, so there's more empathy there, okay? And you know, I've met people who have been racist for 25 years, and the only thing that changed their heart is having a, a grandkid that's not white, right? Where I've met people that were, um, you know, beat up by a pe person of a different color, and they never thought they could love somebody that looks different than them until it happens. And so everybody's got a different experiences, man. And so I know that that, that happens. So I don't try to change them because I didn't have their experience, but I try to learn that story. So there's empathy behind it. That's kind of my, my big thing for sure. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. I think if you want to see the change, you have to be the change yourself. Uh, you don't change other people, you change yourself. And if you want to experience change, you have to initiate it. So um, for me personally, the way I look at others is, and this is what obviously God has taught us, is that we must look at each other in one specific way and one specific only, which is God as God's children. We're all God's children. We're all equal. And we have to look at each other through the lens as which Christ looked at us. So Christ loved every single person. Every single person is wonderfully and fearfully made and we're all precious. And God wants us to look at others the same way, because what does he ask us? He asks us to love him with all of our hearts, our minds and our souls and our strength. Right. And he wants us to love others as we love ourselves. And I think the, the loving others as ourselves, a lot of people don't love themselves. And so they don't love others naturally. And then they're also, um, again, worldview. And so, it just there's a lot of animosity, a lot of hatred there, unfortunately, and and that's when we see the ill will. But but yeah, I, I love that you you spoke specifically on not being able to change others, but changing our own hearts, because uh, that's where we have to look. We have to look and see what is what is in my heart that's bad. We all have something bad in our hearts. We all think badly of something or somebody or some kind of culture in a specific way because we're ignorant and we have certain bias. And so we have to dispel that bias by once again, understanding their stance, understanding their story, having empathy, and then looking at them through the lens of Christ. And I feel like if we actually do that with our hearts and intentionally, I feel like that is just the best way to dispel a lot of the issues that we're having and we can reconcile that way. So I agree. I love that you said sometimes we're ignorant and every single one of us is ignorant. None of us are perfect, right? I always say, you know, there's one, there was only one perfect man that walked the earth and he was killed. So we, we fall short of that 100%. What I what I love to do is I love to learn, though. So I have a friend of mine who's, who's Jewish, and I don't know anything about, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about, like, keeping kosher and, like, orthodox versus unorthodox. And, 
you know, why do some people wear their hair like this and wear the stuff on their belt? Like I'm asking all these questions, learning because I am ignorant. I don't want to just Google it because maybe that's not the same as what he believes. Right. And I don't know that, but I have a relationship with him so I can talk to him and he teaches me in that moment. Just like I've had friends that want to ask me like, yo, Chris, should I call, you know, black people African-American or should I call them, you know, black? What like what's the what's the way should I say it? And I'm like, man, there's so many people that are black that aren't, you know, African-American. They're, they may be, you know, Haitian. They may, there's so many other things that they are Jamaican or whatever it may be. And so I, I, I don't like being called, just, I'm a black guy. You could be a white guy. Like, I, I, that's my preference. So I think by having those conversations with people that you know and being open and let, they know your heart. So they're not going to be mad at you. They're going to yeah. say, oh, this person's trying to learn. So that's, right. that's the thing that I love to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that that's exactly the point, right? It, it's the desire to want to actually understand, right? And it's not it's not asking about the differences in a way that's condescending. It's, hey, I just don't know. Help me learn, right? Um, I guess my only, maybe if you could give us some wisdom on that, though, is I think we live in a culture now where people are just so afraid of they're going to ask a question like that to someone that is different than them in any way, right? And then it's going to go on social media or something and people are going to blow up and call them, you know, whatever name <clears throat> when their intent was to try and understand, you know, like, have you experienced that in, in your traveling where is there a way to break down that uh, kind of hesitation where, you know, people maybe want to understand, but they're afraid of kind of like being called something because they said it the wrong way or asked it the wrong way. You know, how, how do we navigate that? Great question. So uh, the saying that I have is, relationships always supersede being politically correct, right? So when we have a relationship with somebody, we, I, I don't know what the heck I'm saying when I'm talking about being orthodox or unorthodox or, you know, eating hot dogs and not, not knowing. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I sound stupid saying it, but I have a relationship with him. So he's not going to go on Facebook and talk crazy about me because he knows that I genuinely care about him. And I'm just trying to learn. Now, if I never met this guy before in my life and I start talking about cheeseburgers and why you can't have a cheeseburger he's gonna look at me like you're a jerk you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah so so i think it's it, the relationship george is is i think it's super important and um then we have an open space when we have that relationship if we don't then i'd be kind of lenient about like talking to somebody that i have yeah. no relationship with about the muslim faith i don't know too much about it i know certain things i don't know everything so i don't want to be offensive but if i know somebody I can say, hey man, break this down because I, you know, this is what I'm thinking. But tell me, is that what you is that what you believe? Can, I want you to enlighten me because I, I don't know. And I think by doing that, man, there's some changes made and progress is made too for sure. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. And actually, I'm gonna touch on something Brandon said. So he talked about, you know, you have to kind of condition your heart and, you know, the way Christ wanted you to follow things, but. At the same time, you know, people are so easily offended in today's society. And I think David Goggins said it best. You know, David has an incredible story. If you've never heard his story, he went through extreme racism and he had a really tough life um, with his dad and, and alcoholism and, you know, his mom and, and everything that happened to her with the dad. Um, but he he experienced some pretty extreme racism and it put him in a really dark place. But he, he decided to callous his mind, as he calls it. He built his mind and, and did not let things offend or 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 push him, you know, to, you know, not have faith in himself and not have faith in in others around him. And he learned that faith and that camaraderie 
And like you said, building a relationship because you'll never find a closer. I'm sure George can speak to this. You'll never find a closer relationship than a platoon full of people who have been through hell on earth together. And I think that's something that that David really kind of goes into is, you know, the people he graduated his SEAL class with. He was he was very, very, um, you know, appreciative of them and, and their viewpoints. And, and he learned through those relationships. And, you know, as Brandon has said before, uh, you know, uh, iron sharpens iron. And so it's it's one of those things that if you can kind of callous your mind, correct your heart and, you know, make a relationship, I think that that trifecta of things could really really changed the world, man. Um, I think sure. David was good for that. Yeah. I love, I love his stuff. I just finished his book. Never finished. Um, he's, he's phenomenal. Oh, it's man. awesome. Yeah. He's, oh, he, he's, he's out a of this world, man. He's a, he's a little, he's a little, <laughs> <laughs> he's a little vulgar, you know, he's a little, uh, a for little, sure. little gory, but I love his stuff. I, I read, you can't hurt. Well, I, I read the book. You can't hurt me. Then I listened to the pot or to the audio book. And I always recommend people listen to the audiobook, even if they already read it, because he does like a podcast within the book, which is phenomenal. Oh, so, it's so good. I yeah, agree he, wholeheartedly. He's a re- he's a real deal, man. I've I've used him uh in, in certain things. I told you guys I'm really, I'm really, I'm really goal oriented. So like I wanna weigh a certain I wanna weigh one eighty five, less than fifteen percent body fat. I wanna go on twenty four dates a year with my wife. We go on four trips a year as a family. Um, two of those could be, or two trips with my wife doesn't have to be far. It could be like a staycation or something. Mm-hmm. Um, 70% of my son's games. I want to make it to, um, I used to say, I want to cook 52 times a year. You know, George, I failed at that one miserably. So I took that one out. <laughs> so I don't say to cook 52 times a year cause I suck at cooking, but I always have these different goals. <laughs> I have these goals that I set for myself and, uh, I, I love, uh, David Goggins because he he talks about um, having like a alter ego, like he calls himself Goggins. Goggins, and yeah, just, man. yeah. And I'll catch myself like not wanting to finish the last set. I'm like, all right, let's go, man. Where's the alter ego? The alter ego is like, Chris, you can't even look yourself in the mirror saying that you were going to finish this workout, but you didn't. I just, I love his stuff. I can go on and on about his stuff, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. Don't make excuses. Stay hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, so I love, I love all the goal oriented. Uh, I, I'm a lot that way too. Um, probably thank the army for, for beating that into me having very, you know, rigid, uh, lifestyle, but do you have, can you talk to us about, I mean, with, with all the travel and all the things that you're balancing between speaking engagements and your family and all that, um, and I think you alluded to it earlier, you, do you have like an inner circle of guys that you help or they help you to stay accountable to the goals that you just kind of shared with us and. Um, you know, that's another thing I think that men, especially fathers in our in our society today, don't do well, is we isolate and we kind of just live in our own little bubble. And, uh, you know, re- whether you travel or not is irrelevant. You need other guys in your life to kind of hold you accountable or if you're struggling to kind of pick you up, you know? Yeah, Wolfpack. What's that look like for you? Yeah, I do, man. So I have this, it's a company really. It's called Champion Tribe. And I don't really market it a ton because I'm not looking to grow it by a million people. I, I like it to be organic, that people that believe in stuff that I believe in want to join. Uh, but basically, it's uh, we have 32 people in it. Uh, I think we have four women. Everybody else is, is, is a man. Um, and in the group, we write our goals down every single day. Every single day, we write our goals down. 
And it doesn't have to be something crazy, but it's got to be one of our pillars, faith, family, fitness, finance, or foundation. So as an example, today I wanted to, uh, you know, surprise my son with a new um, build that we're putting a pool in our house. So I wanted to surprise my son with the build and I knew he was going to freak out. So that and FaceTime with my wife for an hour was one of my pillars for the day. Workout was my second thing that I wanted to do. And my third goal for the day was um, get eight hours of sleep because I've had a crazy schedule. So I haven't been able to sleep for a ton. And so get eight hours of sleep was one of my third goals. Um, and so those are my, my three. We have to write our three down every single day. We write our goals down in our five different pillars every year. And so whereas most people write New Year's resolutions and they quit within the first three months, like, no, we do quarterly check-ins. You're writing down your goals every single day. And so it, we're asking you every day, hey, did you, did you get your workout in, Chris? Right? Um, and so, like, I, I just love that community. And the reason why I built this is because I spoke at an event. It was like an entrepreneur's event, right? And I was a keynote speaker at it. And to join this club, you need to make a million dollars a year in revenue. And I said, man, there are so many people that don't make a million dollars a year that need something like this. Like, I didn't think that was right. <laughs> and so I was like, I want to create this. I don't care how much money you make. You can be right out of high school, right out of college, or, um, you know, be making a million a year, 10 million a year. Uh, so we have like two tiers. One's $50 a month, and that that's like, literally everything. And then there's one that's 150 a month. And the only thing that's different about the 150 is we do third Monday calls. We bring in a speaker, some of my speaker friends that are just awesome guys that have phenomenal stories that are inspirational. I bring them in on a virtual call every third Monday. And then we meet at my house in person once a month, the first Saturday of every month, we work out, talk about life. Um, when I bought my house and kind of fixed it up, I said, I want people to you know, I, I want this to be a place for ministry and just to be a nice place to hang out. That's why that's why we that's why we bought it. And so people come over to my house the first Saturday of every month in the in the higher group. But those are the the, the people that I kind of keep myself surrounded by, and they walk they walk alongside me in life. Um, goal setting has been huge for me. I'm really weird with this stuff because I feel like sometimes if we don't create certain goals, we can just walk out. We can walk in life aimlessly thinking we're going somewhere, yep. but we're not going that way. You know, we could ask, Hey, am I being a good husband or am I being a good dad? And it's like, well, you went to 10% of your son's games. You know, you, you, you only took your wife out twice last year. You know, you spent six hours of quality time with her for the whole quarter. And like, for me, I want to be intentional. Like, Hey, what do you want to do? Ask my wife, what do you want to do? Okay. This is what you want. I want to make sure that I make that happen. And I hate to, you know, my wife always says she doesn't want to be another check off the box. Right. Yeah. But for me, I say, okay, I don't want to even leave it to chance. So I want to make sure if this is what you want. I'm going to make sure I get that for you, baby. Or I'll make sure I do that for you. Right. Make right. sure it happens because when life's crazy, if we don't make it a priority, it'll slip through the cracks and you don't want that to happen. Absolutely. Chris, I think uh, Champions Club is about to have 33 in it. I'm excited. This is uh, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. I can tell you're such a stats guy. It's love a baseball it. thing, right? Like you start to think in stats all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's, I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know why. But yeah, I'm definitely a statistics guy. I love numbers, too. I love I love learning about finance. I love I just read the book uh, Psychology of Money. We have a book club, too, in this group. And so we just finished that book for this month before I hopped on with you guys. 
we, we did an episode our... on that book. <laughs> oh, really? I yeah, love yeah. that book. Man. It was our first book. book. It was our first episode. Yeah. And we just recently did an episode as well on not having New Year's resolutions, but having uh, annual reviews. Smart goals. And then, yeah, and then we have smart goals that we hold each other accountable for. So we're in this man. Yeah, you, you another just uh, to, baseball you just player. Need to come Sigil on Bloom. and be part of our podcast, man. Yeah, I feel exactly. like you're just you're just the fifth member here at this point. Man, I love this. What you guys are doing is amazing, and and the, and that you're all fathers too with similar morals is like very important. So I'm glad you guys created this because you know I I think I love everybody, but there are certain things that I'm really intentional about with my life. And if I'm intentional about them, I want people around me to be intentional about those, those similar things, you know, because I'm on the road a lot. I want to be faithful to my wife. I want people that are like, hey, being faithful to your spouse is a priority. I don't want somebody that's like, oh, Chris, it don't matter, man. Do your thing. I don't want those people around me. I, if my morals are here, I want your morals to be there, too. And so I think what you guys are doing is pretty cool. Yeah, you got to have you. accountability partners, man. And, yeah. you know, like we that's kind of our motto is climb the mountain of fatherhood. It is a mountain at times and, and we all struggle to climb. So it's it's nice to have each other as, you know, a tether. You know, if we fall, one of us picks the other up and says, all right, man, let's get it going. Let's figure this out. And, you know, touch on, you know, kind of the racism aspect. And you asked the question about sports and letting people off the hook. And I, it kind of came to me as you were speaking. I think the reason that people don't hold people in sports the same standards, because sports brings a lot of people together. Um, it's something if we share a common like, like you said, I think it really opens up the chance for a better relationship or a relationship period. Whereas like, you know, some people are like, well, I'd never have a relationship, but then they're like, oh, that's a Cowboys fan. I like him, you know, or unless you hate the Cowboys and you call them cowgirls, then you don't like them. But friendship over. Yeah. Yeah. Like George, he, he hates him. He hates my Cowboys cause he's a, a cheese head, but you know, it's, it is what it is like. And I think sports, I think that's the beautiful thing about sports. And, and I think Tiger was actually a great example of that. Tiger Woods brought such a different view to the game of golf. And he's such a unique individual with so many talents that, you know, he, he, he changed the world, man. He really did. Like Nike jumped on it too. And, and I, I like Nike, but I'm also not a big fan of Nike anymore because of some of the ways they treated him and they kind of used his story. Um, I, I kind of wished he would have kind of gone his own branding at one point just because of that, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, I think I think sports brings people together in, in a way that some other things may not was my point. Yeah, and, and the way that I see, it sounds weird, but the way that I see athletics now is like uh, they're – are people that are just God-givenly amazing at their craft and they work their behind off to be in the top percent, 1% of the 1% of their field. And so what I love to always say to people is like, make sure, because there's only one perfect human that walked the earth, right? That was Jesus. So, and every person that's a big time athlete, you talk about my favorite athlete of all time, LeBron James, like as great as he may be, I don't know everything about his life. So I don't know if everything is perfect with LeBron, right? I just know that I love he has, the fact that he has a school. I love the fact that he's with his high school sweetheart, just like I am. And so there's certain aspects that I love about him. But I don't always – I never try to just say, hey, this person is the guy. Because I've seen some athletes, and behind the scenes, they're not the people that I want my son to be looking up to. So, um, I, yeah, it's definitely important for sure. 
Yeah. And, and to touch on one other thing with that, like you said, there's people with God given talents. I think that's why the world comes together for the Olympics so well, uh, because it's so impressive to see no matter what race, creed, you know, whatever, uh, ethnicity, religion, whatever. I think that's a beautiful thing that everyone loves about the Olympics. It's, it's all about that person's sheer will and their talent. And, you know, you go there on a world stage and, and represent your culture and you represent your country and, and you just get to like show up and show out for the things that mean most to you. And nobody judges that because it's sports. Anything else, they'd be like, oh, what's this? You know, this is garbage. I don't like your stuff. But, you know, with sports, it's like, no, like this is cool. These are the best of the best in the absolute world. Like there is no better, no one better at running or, you know, whatever. And so it's it's neat to kind of see how people come together for the Olympics. So, yeah, you kind of made me think about that when you said that. Yeah, and I got one more nugget about sports that I just learned recently. So I have to share it with all the dads that are listening um, on this podcast. So I it was talking about the car ride home. Have you guys heard about like the car ride home with fathers and how, you know, a lot of kids quit sports because of the car ride home. Have you guys, you guys ever heard of that or no? I haven't heard so that. It, I, oh, I know man, where you're going with it, but yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I forgot what the article is, but you should definitely check it out. And basically what it says is, you know, a lot of guys will quit. A lot of kids will quit the sport because dad, you know, once we leave the stadium or we leave the basketball court, it's like dad gets into him. man, you should have done this better. You should have done that better. If I, you know, why didn't you do this when you were hitting or why didn't you make that screen when you were uh, playing basketball? Like, why did you do? And the kids just in the back, just like, man, I don't, I don't, they don't even want to talk to dad anymore. Right. It's like they, they lose the love for the game. And I saw this beautiful thing that says, there's a couple questions we can ask. Uh, Stephen Mackey, who's, uh, uh, who works in Texas with a lot of athletics. He's phenomenal at this. He says, we can ask him, Hey, how did you, did you enjoy the game? Right. Uh, what do you, what do you what would you like to work on this week, right? So then it kind of gives them the power of what they think they should do better. And it's like, hey, what did you what did you do well today, right? So those are some questions that we should ask instead. And then the one more golden thing that I love for baseball this is baseball only. This father who's a coach, he says once his son and him, they get in the car together, he said they have a rule. The rule is if the son's in the back seat and he has on his baseball cap, they can talk about baseball. All right. That means the son is definitely wants to talk about the game. He's like, man, what could I, what could I have done? Like, I, I missed his curveball. Dad, what do you think? That means his hat is on. He said, if any point he looks back to the rearview mirror and the, and the son's hat is off, that means no baseball. We're talking about, you know, Roblox. We're talking about Fortnite. We're talking about uh, go getting some ice cream or some Chick Fil A. Right? No baseball at all. And I love that for dads because I would never want to be the father that says man, son, you should have did this, 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 and this. And then two years later, he's like, I hate the sport because my dad doesn't let me play. He always wants to go crazy at my games. Yeah, I love that. that. That's a great point. And, and I'll add on, it, it's also really hard when you're a girl dad. Um, so, like, I don't have a son. And you got to really approach it even more delicately because, you know, girls process a lot differently than we do, right? And and especially when they're younger too, they just don't care. Like winning isn't a thing to them. And it's like, what? You know, you gotta go. Um, and you know, I grew up doing competitive sports my whole life, and I was like way into taekwondo and going to junior Olympics, all that kind of stuff. So for me, like the way I was raised, like I was one of those weird kids who was like at the dojong for ten hours a day, you know, when everyone else is playing. And uh, but we have talked about on this podcast a lot how sports is is not it's not just the athletics. 
and honing your body and having to work towards a goal and work with the team. But one of the best elements about it is it's a safe environment to learn how to deal with failure and frustration and the, the sting of loss and the sting of, you know, oh, I didn't do my best or oh, maybe you're the one who dropped the ball that lost the game or something. That's a much better environment to learn in, right, on, on a field than, you know, when you're a parent yourself, you know, in your 30s or something like that, right? You, you can learn those skills. And so to pair it with what you just said, where if we are as parents, as fathers, um, use it as an opportunity for that learning to um, not just pile on when, when they have that struggle, but to use that opportunity from a game to teach them that skill set that they're going to need the rest of their life. Um, you know, athletics is, is a great uh, opportunity for your kids to learn how to be functioning adults. Yeah. yeah. I, I have something to add to that. Um, so one of the things I'm my son's soccer coach. And one of the things I always do for him and my daughter is anytime they're playing sports or they come home from school, I say, what did you fail at? And like, I act like I'm excited, like what they're going to tell me, like, I want them to be encouraged to fail and be like, Hey, this is what I failed at, but I'm going to try harder next time. And if they come back and say, well, I didn't fail at anything, I kind of act a little disappointed. And I think that encourages them to want to fail. But the other thing, my um, my grandma E that I used to work with, I call her Auntie Tracy. Uh, she's from the Bahamas. And she taught me work as if you're working unto the Lord. And you do that with anything that you're doing. And I feel like if you're doing the hardest work, you're, you're, you're the most dedicated, you're the most determined because you're trying to be in God's will. God is going to anoint your path and he's going to bless it. So I tell my kids, man, work as if you're working under the Lord, nobody else, because nobody else's opinion or anything else matters. It's just what you and God think. And we obviously know what God thinks. So it's, it's always a good thing to anchor yourself in. So those are the two main staples I teach them from in sports. And it, it really helps them because it gives them that hope and, and that determination to, to keep trying, even when they're upset and they're in the midst of their failure. Yeah. And I think the thing about sports that's so beautiful to me is you are going to fail. It doesn't matter how talented it doesn't matter, you know, how good a team you have. You are going to fail at one point in time. So that's I think George hit the nail on the head there. I think I think sports are so good for kids because you're going to learn. Um, now, I just wanted to touch on something. I want to give a shout out to my father in law. Um, so you spoke about Chris. You spoke about the Yankees and, and you know, playing in the stadium. Um, so my father in law has um, a friend here in lo local in Lafayette, um, a man by the name of Ron Guidry. And he was a famous Yankees pitcher. He signed a ball for my son, thank, thankfully. Uh, so I want to say thanks to Ron and my father-in-law for doing that for my son's first birthday. That's going to be a legitimate present. So, Dustin, I think you had something. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up. Um, so I work in anesthesia, um, and we can't fail, right? I mean, there's, there's no uh, room for error. You, you have to do everything right every single time. And man, that is exhausting sometimes, <laughs> you know, and it is so wonderful to get out on the court and be able to make a mistake and go, all right, I'll get it next time. You know, um, that is that is a beautiful thing to actually be able to fail and feel OK about it uh, because we don't always have that in our lives. So um, I'm so glad that I have sports as an outlet to to be able to do that. I love it. I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I always say when you're playing, you know, sports and you're pretty good, you'll be the best in your town or your state. You start playing in college, you're best in like your region. 
you start playing professionally, you're playing against the best in the world, and that's a whole different ball game. And so it, I learned a lot playing, which was fun. Um, but I love what I get to do now, and the impact that I make is definitely greater than if I was just swinging a bat. Um, I'd have to be some type of, you know, philanthropist, evangelist, activist on the side if I was playing. I don't even know. But, right. Yeah. And now you get to do it pretty much every day. Yeah. Well, 150 days go. a year you do it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, Chris, uh, I – Oh, sorry. Well, I, I want to do a quick me. time check with Chris real, real oh, okay. fast. We're gotcha. about an hour and a half in. Just yeah, you said your third goal tonight was to get some good sleep. So uh, I don't. We don't want to make you miss your goal. Uh, you know, do we need to wrap things up now or? Uh, yeah, he, a more time? he could ask his question. We can wrap it up, but I, I know he has something for sure. So okay. go ahead. Go ahead, sure. Justin. I, pre- I appreciate it, Chris. So the question I have to ask is, I guess, what is the best thing you've ever learned or your most favorite memory from baseball that you use as a father today? Mm. Ooh, I got one. Oh man, this is good for you guys. Listen. Oh man. Okay. So you know how we put athletes on a, on a pedestal. Okay. Right. We just put them all the way. Hey, you know, Oh, you know, it's LeBron or it's, you know, Kevin Garnett or it's Derek Jeter or whoever it is. A-Rod. Guys, I remember when I was playing in the minor leagues. Now, this is right after I lost my mom and I lost my dad. And and my sport was like my getaway. I thought it was. I realized that it wasn't the the sport that was my getaway. It was the success of my sport that I felt like I needed to have that as my getaway. Um, But we were playing in Vancouver, Canada. And we were in the playoffs. And I vividly remember this is guy just ripping into me because it was playoff time, right? He was just giving it to me and he was just going on and on and on. And it was like, I, I usually heard smack talking stuff, but this guy was going so hard. And I remember just thinking like, man, like I was at a really low point. Like, I mean, I, you know, my mom and dad were gone. I was really struggling in the baseball field. Like I was like over 32 or something crazy. And I mean, like, I'm just heartbroken. And this guy's just ripping into me. And I remember his son was like saying stuff too. And that day I promised myself I would never let my son talk smack or talk trash to a player because I never know what they're going through at home. Mm-hmm. I never know. And we think because they're an athlete, but they're professional, it's whatever. It's part of the game. But for me, that moment, like I was really hurting inside. And this was supposed to be my getaway after losing my parents. You know, I was on a minor league salary, had to take care of my little brother and sister at home. I'm like, I'm never going to get to the big leagues now. I was struggling real bad. And this guy and his kid was just ripping into me. And it was that day where I said, you know what? I'll always let my son cheer for his team. He can go crazy. He can, you know, wave his hand, try to make him miss a free throw. But I'll never let my son talk smack and talk trash about a player's stats and just rip into him because I know what that feels like on the other side. And that's not a good feeling when you're really going through something at home. Yeah, Man, I mean, that's kicking them when they're down. That's good. Thank you for uh for, for giving us that one. All right, uh guys, any final thoughts or questions? I got one quick thing. I always leave with a great quote. This is kind of my thing. I'm, they call me the Mr. Philosopher, but it's so important because he's definitely the podcast philosopher. Yeah, me and sure. me and Harold. Uh so I went to visit Harold, um, our best friend. And my best man at my wedding, all that good stuff. I met, I, we went up to DC and we went to the Martin Luther King Memorial because that was kind of one of my dreams was to get a picture with him in front of the statue. 
And one of the quotes that was on the wall that just was so beautiful and just such a good thing to contemplate was we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And so I just want people to leave with that thought process because it's so important that we do that. And I feel like the unity is what we need most right now. That's good, man. That's beautiful. Beautifully said there. Thank you guys again, man. This was awesome. And uh, I want to come on again. I want to come on another Absolutely, time. Absolutely, man. Come on back. We'll talk we'll some baseball during the season. Well, I was going to say, we'll wait till your book comes out, and then we can come talk about your first oh, adult book. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, come plug your book, please. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make it happen, fellas. I appreciate it. Hey, Chris, we're just uh, really appreciate your time tonight, and uh, hopefully the rest of the week goes well for you. I don't know what your your plans are, but hopefully it, it settles down for you soon so you can get some rest. And, uh, you know, we're just very thankful for what you're doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can come see one of your engagements soon. I know Brandon's already had the pleasure. Yeah. And um, for everyone who's listening, you can go to www.chrissingleton.com to learn basically everything about him uh, and his books. He's got three kids' books out. You can go pick them up. I think you have a three-book bundle, right? Uh, so you can go pick that up from the website. And uh, Chris, just God bless you. Thank you for your time tonight. And uh, go get some rest. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Take care, guys. All right. Take, take care, care, Chris. All right. Um, so before we wrap up here, just want to, again, thank you, Chris, for your time. Check out his website. Uh, he's also on Instagram. So if you like to scroll through Instagram, he's got some really awesome clips on there with just some of his real great speaking engagements and things like that. Definitely check it out. And uh, you can look for us in two weeks. We'll be having another guest uh, come on March 1st, same time at 8 p.m. And uh, his name is Wells Middleton. And he had a workplace accident that actually uh, severely wounded both of his arms. And so now he is a double hand amputee um, and he's a dad. So uh, he's gone through a lot of stuff. We're going to we're having him come on and talk about his, uh, you know, the accident and how he's been a father afterwards. And um, well, that's just kind of the teaser. We'll, we'll let him talk about his story. But uh, guys, final closing thoughts for tonight before we wrap it up. Yeah, I just want to say to anybody who wants to join uh, Chris's Champions Club, don't because it's going to be full after I join. That's I'm going to be the last member. So yeah, you're not allowed to. So. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, I just want to say if uh, if you guys are one of our our active listeners, please put the word out for us. We want to reach more dads. We want more interaction. We want to hear from you guys. I know I ask this a lot, but please definitely comment, post, like, share, whatever, and it's just so that we can get the word out and we can all climb that mountain together as we say so uh let's get the climbing guess yeah and just to that point you know justin the heart there is you know we know that men like to isolate and so this is a way that hopefully uh you know it can kind of be extending a hand to others and and they'll feel that they're not alone because that that's really where people get down and, and stuck is they feel that they're the only one and as soon as you start talking to other people uh you know struggling and realize that oh wow there's a whole lot of other people going through the exact same thing it just it, it can really help take a weight off so that's really why we want to get our name out there. It's not for any personal glory or that kind of stuff. It's we, we really do believe in what we're doing. Um, you know, we, we believe that dads matter and there's a lot of dads who need help. And so share it <laughs> so that we can, can help them. That's it. And Come not that we have all the answers, but we're going to bring on people who do. So yeah. <laughs> Brandon, any, any final 
philosophic thoughts before we wrap it up? No, Lord just Peter. uh thank you so much, Chris, again, um, for speaking at the conference that I was at, for coming on here. Uh, you know, we're gonna be praying for you, uh, for your safety this year. And uh we appreciate you, man. And that's all that's all I got. I love you, brothers. It, man. All right. This is gonna end this episode. Like I said, March first, eight PM. We will have our next guest, our next episode. It'll be episode number 17. Man, we are making headway already. It's awesome, guys. And uh, for all the dads out there, keep climbing the mountain and tune in next time. We'll catch you later. Thanks for watching this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.